Microphone on. <laughs> Next time, throw something at me. I had no idea he was even standing there. I'm so distracted. So I've just preached all there with my microphone off. So right, next sound, sound man, next time, if I got my microphone, just walk up to me while I'm preaching and press it. That's fine with me. I won't bother me. Okay? You've all been there. But uh, as I was saying, what was I saying? <laughs> Jesus is coming back for a victorious church. Now, he's not coming back to give us the victory. He's coming back for a church that's walking in what he's given us. He doesn't have to give us something he's already given us. But here's some further evidence. The Bible says that the last enemy to be put underfoot is death. Yes. Anyone ever heard that scripture? Yeah. Yeah. And the indication is that that last enemy will be put underfoot, kind of right connected to the return of Jesus and some end time things. Yeah? I don't want to get into raptured, return of Jesus, all the different ideas and different things. But, but connected right to some things, the finalization of some things, the Bible says the last enemy shall be put, put underfoot. Yeah. Anyone read that scripture? Yeah. Or heard that scripture? You know what I'm saying? Does that scripture say all the enemies will be put underfoot no. at that time? No. no. What does it say? The, the last, last. What happened to all the others? Last implies more than one. Yeah. If it's the last one to be put underfoot, what does that tell you about all the other ones? They are underfoot by that time. Who does that? When he comes, the last one's put underfoot. The death itself. That means he's coming back for a church that's put all the other ones underfoot. And there's only one more left. Now he says, fine, let's go. He is waiting for a church that starts putting things underfoot. He's not saying, well, I'll just put all the 57 things you haven't put underfoot yet. I'll put them all underfoot when I get there. He says, no, I'm coming, I, I, we'll be doing the final one. Now what if we take more, 20 more generations to put some things underfoot? Scripture's always said, the last, it, 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 the last one that will be put underfoot is, when, is at his time of return. He is expecting a church that have put the other ones underfoot. But the enemy's got us so sidetracked, so distracted, so caught up in different doctrines saying, oh, you can't walk in victory, all kinds of things. God, he is looking, Jesus is looking for us to once and for all learn to start getting on top of things. Start learning to win some battles. Start learning to, 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 to get some victories in areas of our lives. You know, what should be happening as a church? We should be taking a step forward. Right, we conquered that enemy. That one's underfoot permanently. Yes. Yeah. We don't, we, we, every time that one pops its head back up, we smack it down because we've got that one dealt with in the church. Yeah. This enemy. Oh, another enemy. Overcome. We've got that one overcome. Take, take, let's take another step. Oh, man, look at this. Look, we've, as a church, we're starting to get this. Every time they pop their head up, we've got this sorted out. And then we look around and say, "How many? what enemies haven't we beaten? Yeah, we've beaten this enemy. We've beaten this enemy. We've beaten this enemy. We've beaten this enemy. And someone, someone in the church says, I think there's only one more left. And we'll look at each other and say, ah, it's time for Jesus to come back. Because that's the one he says, the last one we put underfoot at that time. Do you see what I'm saying? 
But the enemy's got us thinking, we can't beat them. Jesus will do it all when he comes back. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) He gave us the word of God. He gave us the spirit of God. Gave us the name of Jesus. Gave us the authority. Gave us the tools to go get the job done. How many of you, did you know that Jesus talked about um, in parables, landowners, they, who went away and they gave their servants tasks to do. Yeah. And, and then he said about how some of the servants, you know, they were lazy, they just beat up their fellow servants, didn't do the job. And when the, when the master came back, was he happy with them? No. no. What is he expecting when he gives a responsibility, what does he expect? To do something with what he's given you. He gives us his word, his name. He says, I've given you my name. I've I've given all authorities unto me. You go and do. You go and do. We sit on the ground and say, Lord, when you do it, (laughs) how'd you like to hire someone to come clean your windows? You go out for the afternoon and you come back and you've paid the guy in advance, let's say, because Jesus paid him full in advance. Let's say you pay for your windows to be clean. You go out for the afternoon. You come back at the end of the afternoon and the windows are all still, still dirty and the guy's sitting there. And you say, well, why is my windows dirty? He says, well, I was waiting for you to come back and do it. That's what we're saying to Jesus. <laughs> he commissioned us. He said, you go and get some things done. I've given you the tools. Go and get them done. And we're saying, well, when he comes back, he'll do it. He's not going to be very impressed with that. He says, I'm looking for, uh, the the parables keep showing over and over again. He's looking for servants who are doing what he's given them to do. And yes, part of what he's given us to do is go preach the gospel, but there's a lot of other things he's told us to do in the word. Amen? Anyway, let's try and get to the scripture I'm trying to get to. 1 Samuel 17, verse verse 24. We'll just grab this one. We read the, the rest in the previous one. So what happens with David and Goliath when, when Israel see Goliath? Remember, we're picking right up where we were in the last session. Amen? What happens? All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadly, dreadfully afraid. So what they see is causing a response on the inside of them. Is what we see important? Is our vision, is the... Are we supposed to be building the right vision on the inside of us? Are we supposed to be focused all the time on the challenge, on the problem, on the, the, the situation we're going through? If that's all you can see, and if your eyes are on that, then it's like Peter, your eyes are on the wind and the waves. And you, it, you, you're going to sink. You've got to, you've got to get your eyes on the right thing. Now, what happened? They saw the man. They fled from him. Notice that they fled. How, how, what was their attitude toward the enemy? They're terrified of the enemy. They're terrified of the enemy. Now, let's see something different. Let's, let's go to verse 48. <coughs> it was David. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. What did David do? David hurried and ran toward the army. What was Israel doing? But they were also fleeing. They're running away. Running away. 
What's David doing? He's running straight at the enemy. <laughs> See, we got this all wrong. Like I said, the Bible says the enemy flees from you. Most Christians are on the run from the enemy. We've given them the upper hand. Why? Is it God's fault? No, we see something in this passage. Why? They're caught up in fear. They're intimidated by the size of the enemy. There's something different about David, isn't there? He runs at the enemy. He goes looking for a fight. So someone phones you up. I'm sure as a pastor you had this. Oh, help me, pastor. The devil's after me. Always run, the devil's chasing me. If the devil's got time to keep chasing us, he's got far too much time on his hand. He should be running from us while we're chasing him. Come, come, let's have a fight. I'm coming straight at you. That's what David did. He ran into the battle. He says, I'm going to you. I'm not running from you. Come, let's have, you want a real fight? Let's have a real fight. That's David's attitude. How many Christians do you see with that attitude? Come on, devil. Let's go for it. You and me, one-on-one. But, but just remember, it's not quite one-on-one because I've got the greater one on the inside. And he's with me wherever I go. So it might look like one-on-one, but he never leaves me. So it's, more, it's, it's a lot more than one-on-one. Okay? But, but David runs at the battle. We need some Christians not intimidated by the battle. They run at it. They're not afraid of a war. They're not afraid of a fight with the enemy. They're not afraid of a scuffle. Oh, the devil's attacking me with such and such. So, why are you afraid? Run at him. Say, come on then, come on. You, you want to bring such and such on me? Come on, let's see who comes off second best because i got the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. I'm not intimidated by you. I've got the word of God in my life. How many Christians do we see with that kind of attitude? Oh, the devil's attacking my finances. Fear, 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 panic, panic, panic. Oh, the devil's... Fear, 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 panic, panic, panic all the time. How about you? Uh, devil, you really want to attack my finances? You better watch out who's going to come off second best. Let's go. For you. Come on, Ned. Let's go. Just remember, I got the authority. I got the name of Jesus. It's like one, 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 one pastor used to say. He said, it's, it's my bat and my ball and my God's the umpire. Who do you think's going to win the, the game? <laughs> okay. We're not intimidated by him. We're not afraid to go head on into battle. Why? Because we got the tools to win. Problem is, very often we're not really applying the tools to win. And then we're just thinking, God's got, Lord, you do it for us. And sometimes we've not even been taught what we need to hear from the word. Christians, are, you see, the, the enemy uses confusion over the word. To, to, as a problem too that, that gets people distracted and hearing different things from different sides different angles this point distraction technique tactics get people confused over the word get them hearing 500 different things over the word confused over this scripture that scripture this scripture and then throw loads and loads of fires at their lives get them so caught up in themselves and in their own self that they become inward focused on themselves on the run from the enemy and then we're no threat some some point, we've got to wake up to the enemy's strategy and say, hold on, no more distractions, no more confusion. We're going to stand on what the Word says. We're not going to let the enemy do this. We're going on the run after him. We're taking ground. Amen? 
Let's, let's go to Luke 13. Luke 13. It's about time we stop letting the enemy pull us around. We start, ta- start saying it's time to get these mountains moved. It's time to get these giants slain down. Time to get these Red Seas split. Somewhere along the line, you've got to make up your mind. It's time. I'm, get, I'm, I'm, I'm pressing in until I got this. You've got to get hungry enough. You've got to get desperate enough. You say, I'm not playing games with this anymore. I'm not allowing the enemy to constantly dictate over my life with this anymore. I'm going to drive into the Word of God, and I'm going to stand on the Word of God, and I'm going to do what's necessary until I've got my breakthrough and my victory. Until I get this, this, this enemy put underfoot, and then we, then we can move on from here. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Are you, willing, are you willing to keep tolerating the enemy winning the battles in your life? Are you willing to keep letting the enemy get the upper hand and distract you and throw one thing after you, add another, after another, after another, after another? What, what, did, what did Jesus say to Peter? Satan has desired to sift you. That's what he's doing. He's just kind of sifting you one thing at a time, just getting the upper hand. One thing, one, thing, one thing after another at your life. Overwhelming, distracting you. There's too many Christians that are just unable to get free from some things. And part of it's because they're not hearing good word on the issues. They're getting confused. But there's all kinds of other reasons. The enemy wants you dealing with mountains, dealing with giants year after year after year after year in your life. Because you know what? If Jesus tarries, I've got news for you. You ain't going to be here 275 years. So if the enemy can run the clock down in your life by distracting you over and over and over and over again, what ends up happening? One, delays his coming, but two, ultimately he's not running the clock down in individual Christians' lives. And we're not going to get the job done. Because you're so caught up in some things. Amen? You've got to put your feet on the ground and say, enough's enough. We're going to get done what needs to get done. I'm not letting the enemy pass this time anymore. Gonna get, now is the time. Now is the, the moment. We're going to get into the position God wants us in and fulfill some things. Not get distracted anymore. Let's look at Luke 13. Now, I'm going to, in, as we do this series, I don't know how long I'll be on this series month to month, but, but, but you, know, you know me, I tend to stick with the topic a while, unless I really feel I've covered it. But if, it, if we have to stick on it a year, whatever, we'll stick on it for a year. But we're going to stick on this. And as we, as we deal with this moving mountains, overcoming giants, shaking nations, we're going to jump around a little bit onto some things, cover different aspects of things. But ultimately, it's with the goal of bringing you to that place where you're starting to get on top of some areas in your life. We stop being distracted and so we can start get, becoming effective in what God wants us to do. I was just, I just had, a, had a thought there as a moment. You know, Paul, Paul said we run a race. We're running a race. How many of you are running a race? Yeah. <clears throat> if you're trying to run a, la- run a race, 
and and while you're running, you, this, this is just the thought. It's a bit amusing, but but for me it is anyway. But you know, if you're running your race and you look down and your shoelace is undone. What 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 hap, what 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 are you going to do? Well, you either keep running and trip over your shoelace, or you got to stop and put do your shoelace up. This is what the enemy is trying to do. You're trying to run your race and he pulls your shoelace undone. It's a distraction technique. But you've got to stop running the race, so you've got to now sit on the side, sort your shoelace out. That's the problem attacking your life. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Constant distraction at the end of the day it just hinders you from running the race. <coughs> Luke chapter 13, verse 10. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is the scripture I was trying to get to at the start of the last session. This is why I said we'll go around if it's what we have to. But Luke 13, verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. What was the synagogue? It's where they, the local community, where they, where the, the in Israel, these are the Jews. It, 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 in one sense, it's our, what we would, for us, it would be the local church. Now, the synagogue and the temple were different. They didn't do all of the festivals at the synagogues. The temple was in Jerusalem, only had to be in one place. It's different to the synagogue. Okay? The synagogue arose during the captivity in Babylon. And, 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 and a big part of why the synagogue arose is it was a place they couldn't do all the sacrifices when they were in Babylon because they could only do those back in Jerusalem. They were a thousand miles away. So they couldn't carry out a large amount of what, what they would have done at the synagogue, sorry, at the temple. So they st basically home groups started. And the home groups started around reading the scriptures. Yeah. That's the one thing they could do when they were in captivity. Couldn't do a lot of the other things that had to be done in the tabernacle, in the, sorry, in the temple. They had no temple. And the temple, by that time, God had said it was only supposed to be in Jerusalem. So the synagogues arose, a big part of it was a place where they, got, they gathered around the scriptures. Okay? That's a, a rundown summary of it. Why do you think every time we see Jesus, you know, like Luke, Luke 4, it says, it was handed him the book of Isaiah the prophet, and he read Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He found the place. They gave him the book of Isaiah. Why? That's what they did in the synagogues. They read the scriptures. But from another point of view, this woman is in the synagogue. Let's read verse 11 first, actually. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. How long? 18 years. Now, that, that, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, I personally don't like it when I deal with, a, you, know, like, you know, like an illness for a week. <laughs> How many of you have ever, you know, you get, you just, you, you're feeling a bit under the weather for a week? I'm telling you, I, it's not nice to deal with something for a week or a month, but 18 years? I understand there's people that deal with things for years. Chronic conditions, long-term conditions. Did Jesus ever set people free from some long-term conditions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's more than one. There's quite a few. Quite a few. Many of them, some of them were decades they've been in situations. But notice this, before we even get to Jesus, in, when Jesus comes involved in verse 12, verse 12, I wonder how many of those 18 years this woman's been going to the synagogue. 
Anyone ever pause to think that? How many, of, how many years do you think she's been going to that synagogue? At least the 18. Maybe she's only 18 years old. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Okay. You know, this isn't like today where, where some people in the community went to church and some people didn't. This is Israel. The whole community was affected on the Sabbath day. You went to your lo- the, the, the local ruler of the synagogue? Was, was the, that the kind of the, the religious leader of that community. Everyone went to the synagogue. She's a Jew. And you didn't, you didn't keep changing synagogues. If you lived in the community, that's the synagogue you went to. Yeah? So how long has this woman been going to the synagogue? Probably all her life. And certainly this 18 years. That's a tragedy. It's not a tragedy she was going. It's a tragedy that she was in a place where the word of God was being taught and read. and She wasn't getting free. That's what I'm trying to get to. We have that same tragedy in the body of Christ today. We've got that same tragedy. Christians still dealing with long-term situations, not getting free from some things. This is a problem. She's been, now, a little bit later, the, aunt, the ruler of the synagogue, this, let's jump the healing. I'll come back to that. Let's go to verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Now, this is, she gets healed in verse 13. I'll read it in a minute. <coughs> is the ruler of the synagogue excited that this woman has just been set free. You know what he wants to do? He wants to have a doctrinal argument. Is he interested in her getting set free, even remotely? Is it any wonder Jesus called him a hypocrite in a moment? Because this man, his role was to bring the things of God into this woman's life. And he's more interested... And whether she's keeping the regulations he's made up, as to uh, 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 he's more interested in that as he is in her as a person and her needs and her situation. He couldn't care less that she's been healed as long as she's in church on the Sabbath. That's all that mattered to him. She did not. She was not of no value to him as a person. Couldn't care less the fact that she's been in this situation. In fact, it offends him when she gets set free. That's that's awful. Amazing. God starts moving in an environment. People start getting free and and Christians start having big doctrinal arguments over it all. (laughs) My word. Year after year in this synagogue with no freedom. So, Let's keep reading in verse 14. I'll come back to 12 and 13. The ruler of the synagogue answers with indignation. because What's his problem? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Was that the real issue here? No, it's not the real issue. But he's focused on the wrong thing. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, notice it, come and be healed on them. 
So he's saying, come and be healed on the other six days of the week. So he's had 18 years, six days a week to get this woman free. How many times has he helped her and got her free? You add that up, 18 years times six days a week. He's had, I think I did it once, something like either 5,000 or 6,000 or 7,000 days he could have helped this woman and got her free, even if he didn't want to do it on the Sabbath day. So the real issue is not whether it's the Sabbath day, it's whether the fact that this guy's not actually helping her, not getting her free, not bringing her to, to a place. And that's why Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. You want to moan at me because I did it on one day. You've had over 7,000 opportunities to do it and you haven't helped her. <laughs> now let's go back up to, 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 to verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you're loosed. <coughs> 18 years, that root of the synagogue. She's been coming to this place, hasn't been. How many encounters did it take with Jesus to get her free? One. How's that for a contrast? Do you get the impression Jesus wanted her to stay another 18 years? Jesus looks at this woman who's not getting set free from some things, and he moves and manifests in her life and comes through for her. That, that's the kind of God I serve. Now, the discussion continues. Let's jump down to verse 15. The Lord then answered and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox from the stall and lead, lead it away to water. What did Jesus say in verse 12 to the woman? Woman, you are loosed, loosed. And then he says in verse 15, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall? What, what, what's, what's loose? Untie? Why? That, that donkey, it's tied to something. It's attached to it. And you loose it. So you can lead, lead, it, lead it away to the water. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? What's it to be bound? Tied up with something. Think of it. For 18 years, the way Jesus said, think of it, for 18 years means he's not impressed. She's been in this condition. He's like surprised. She's been coming to synagogue 18 years and she's still got this condition. That's not the way it should be. Or not this woman, if Satan is down, bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond. Do you see those words? Loosed from this bond. Do you see the repetition? Bond. These words, if you look them up in the original, have got to do with a prison that binds someone. Holding their life. How did Jesus view this condition she's in? It's a prison. What does he say? She should be? Loosed. Let go from that thing. Ought not this woman...
Does God, is, God, is God wanting his people bound up, tied up to things, under the control of things? It's not the God, it's not the God I see in the Bible, not the God I see. Even in the Old Covenant, when, when did they go into bondage? When did they end up tied up to things? Again, when they weren't walking with God. But when they walked with God, does God say, well, we're just going to put you under bondage to another nation just because I feel like doing it? In Judges, the repetitious pattern was when they walked with God, they were supposed to be, or they were, in fact, free. Each time they walked with the God, walk with God, they walked in freedom. What is God's plan? What's his desire for people? To be walking in freedom. We need to start getting a vision that it's time to start getting free from some things. Start beginning to say, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. This is a bond. This is, it ties me to something. Now, when, 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 when an animal, because Jesus used the illustration of the animal, yeah? When an animal's tied to a store, how far can that animal go? It traps it. It restricts it where it can go and what it can do. It's what the enemy's trying to do with people. Trying to tie you to situations. It's what I've been trying to say a lot of today. If he can get you tied to something, it's not just tie you up, he ties you to something. Ties you to that situation. It traps you. You can't become effective for God in some areas. You either tolerate that thing in your life, let the clock tick down, and then spend the rest of your life tied to that thing. Well, you begin to realize, as John 8, 36 says, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You're going to make up your mind if you're going to get free from that thing. Make up your mind if it's, it's time to walk into some freedom. It's time to say, I'm, I, I refuse. I will not be bound. I will not let the enemy keep me bound to this thing anymore. I'm not going to just spend year after year after year chasing fires under the control of the enemy, him having the upper hand in my life. I want that freedom. I'm going to, if I have to knock a hole through the roof figuratively like what Jesus did, I'm not going to run from the battle. I'm going to run at the battle. I'm going to get my focus, my attention on the Lord Start grabbing a hold of the Word of God in my life. Start walking in the authority that God's got given me. Start winning some battles once and for all. Start seeing these mountains move, these giants slain, these giants overcome. And re become released from that thing to the place that I can now become effective. And step into the place that God's got for me and let's see some nations shaken. Amen? Now, there's a lot more I've got to say, but that's enough for today. And I, I, I trust it stirred you. I trust it stirred you today. But we, we, we stay, we, we're going to, my plan is to, <coughs> my plan is to stick with this topic. To say it's time to get some free. It's try to get, time to get free from some, try, time to get free from some things. That's what I'm trying to say. Time to get the victory over some things. Time to dig our heels on the ground and say, no more. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not being tied to this thing for years more anymore. 
I'm going to receive the freedom that, that Jesus has, has made available to me. Amen? Bless you all. We will see you again. Uh, obviously, we do these, these. Most of you know the pattern by now that these, these Saturday morning ones at the moment, they're on the second Saturday of each month. Yeah? And then on the fourth Friday of every month, we're at St. Paul's, the Friday night. We do worship. We do other things for the, the evening services. So we, this is teaching focused. That one is more worship, move of the spirit, and some teaching focus. So it's, a, it's on a consistent pattern. You're welcome to join us. Bless you all. Thank you.